Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Have we gotten to this point where people wake up every morning looking for something to be offended about? I live in this place called the real world, and I understand what is going to happen. Her story is, I was trying to scare him away. At the same time, she shot him point blank in the face. Okay, that's not exactly a warning shot. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. Coming up next, Squirrel. And now, WTMJ's Scott Morris. Away we go. 12.09, a Friday edition of the Wagner List program. Joined in studio today by Meg McKenzie. Jordan Gazarowski, double duty, on loan from the Scafidi Show, producing until 3 o'clock. Wisconsin's afternoon news takes over at that time. The way the show stacks up, 2 o'clock hour, we'll have a little lighter, a little lighter fare. It's been a heavy, heavy week, and uh, rightfully and understandably so. So Friday we'll have some fun. Uh, I'm sorry, Friday, 2 o'clock hour. We'll lighten the mood a little bit, as it were. By the way, 145, we're going to talk to Ed from Milwaukee. Now, Ed from Milwaukee was a man who called up when we were holding a radiothon several weeks ago in conjunction with our latest WTMJ Cares initiative, raising money for the American Heart Association. And he called up during the radiothon because he was just, he just heard what we were doing and wanted to just share his own story of being on the, the waiting list for a heart. And lo and behold, less than a week after Ed just spontaneously called in, we shared the story of Ed getting his heart transplant so i said once he feels better we got to have him on so we're gonna have him on today that is so wild i listened back to the original interview i thought he was a planned guest for the radiothon i didn't realize he was a listener that then made you know made it onto the show Mm -hmm. what a remarkable story i'm excited to talk to him and a lot of you out there kind of credited ed and his call that Friday morning with the uh, or as the catalyst for many of you making donations that morning in a couple hours we raised fifteen thousand dollars. It was pretty remarkable. It That's really awesome. was. Mm-hmm. So, figured you know after the week we've had, everybody's had. Let's finish on an up note, some good news. So we'll talk to Ed around one forty-five. But we do have to, I think, Meg. We do have to still spend some time because we're not going to move on from it. Obviously, uh, to still kind of discuss what happened on. Well, uh, uh, Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon there at Molson Coors. And I want to double back, and I, we both we were discussing, well, how do we take this, how do we continue the, the discussion? And I think there is something to still be, even though we discussed it at length yesterday, still to be dug out in terms of society and us now in Milwaukee and Wisconsin being desensitized to these matters. And the role admittedly, that the media, radio, television, the media plays in preventing those things from from not having the impact on our lives that it once did. Not wait a minute, wait a minute. You think the media prevents the... You, you, so it, if I'm hearing you correctly, you think the media is responsible for us being desensitized to tragedies like this, if I go the opposite of what you said. Is that correct? Well, I, I believe that... The media and and coverage, I should say, coverage, coverage. of these events, okay, play a, or or non coverage or the lack of coverage can play a role in how we consumers of tragedy process. If you don't have the coverage, if if it's not being discussed, 
if it's not making headlines, if it's not in a newscast, the odds of it having an impact on people's lives diminishes. I don't disagree with you there. However, if there isn't something to cover, they can't create coverage. So, for instance, we're kind of in a lull right now. So in cases like what happened yesterday, a mass shooting, the next big news we would anticipate would be a motive, right? And until then, there might be some small stories. I know that there's some encouraging stories because there's local businesses who are donating profits to the victims' families and that sort of stuff. But the media can't be you know, held accountable for creating coverage if there isn't any coverage. And therefore, you can't blame the media then for are us being desensitized to it. Because I think what you're saying is, I feel like we talk about it and then we move on way too quickly. And so if we move on way too quickly from something, is is anything ever going to get done? Are we ever going to, you know, make progress? Is that what you mean? There's certainly inroads that can be made to to fixing the the general or or the the overall problem. No doubt about it. But... I think I think we need to spend some time talking about what what leads us to be desensitized, right? I mean, there, there, there's something to be said for if it's not out there on my television screen, then it's less likely to be top of my mind. Now, when something happens in our own backyard, then it absolutely sure. is top of mind. It's on all our minds right now, obviously for obvious reasons. But nationally speaking, um. If it's not, then it eventually just kind of gets on the back page and people move on. I, I think I think we're, we agree on this. There was something you drew my attention to in the uh, in the Los Angeles Times, and this was put out yesterday by somebody with Milwaukee ties, and he addresses the way that national media covered or didn't cover the story here in Milwaukee on Wednesday. And it raises the larger question. This is the conversation we'd like to have here to start off the show at 855-616-1620, the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line 855-616-1620. How do you, you personally, try to avoid, try to avoid being desensitized as best you can? Are there, are there, Extends to which you will go to, no, I'm not, I'm going to make sure that this story has an impact on me so that I don't just move on the next day or the next week, whatever the case may be. Because there are ways to do that. And I think, unfortunately, the more tragedies we have like this, the higher the likelihood that, as we said yesterday, we're all going to just be a little bit more desensitized this time and the next time a little bit more and a, the next time a little bit more after that. I'd be curious to know because I can't think of a strategy that I could implement in my life to resensitize me to something I'm desensitized to. All right. And I'm not talking personally about mass shootings because I'm sensitive to those. But so I don't know how that how you would turn that around. And is that really the battle that we need to be resensitized? I can tell you I can tell you some ideas I have mm-hmm. on what it would take for us to uh have a closer connection to mass shootings and the chronic mass shootings across the country. Here's what I here, here's an example. Here's, here's a real life example. Okay. And for me it relates to 9/11. And with each passing year because we we many of us within many of us, all of us that I'm looking at and talking to right now, 
we lived through 9-11. You remember where you were, how you were feeling. It's, it's so many steps along the way of that day. Every year on September 11th, there are certain networks, cable news networks and otherwise, that will air, in many cases, real or, or replay mm-hmm. the way it unfolded sure. in, yes. in real time from sunup to sundown. There will be specials that will be aired. You'll hear from from those who survived the attacks. You'll hear from maybe some of the... There's a whole range of programming that networks do surrounding 9-11 every single year. Well, every year that happens, I make sure, I force myself, whether I want to or not, I make sure that I plot myself down and for some portion of the day or night, watch that. And try to remember what I was feeling when it happened. Because if I don't, if I just go, oh yeah, it's the anniversary of 9-11 and the day goes on. If I don't do that, I feel as if that what happened will be lost on me somehow, some way. Mm -hmm. Every year, I'm more and more desensitized to it. So that's a real life example of what I I try to do on on 9-11. and I think it's important that we do do that. No? But, okay, I get what you're saying. However, the goal has to be, though, to ignite action. Does it ignite any action in you? Specifically to the 9-11? Yeah. I mean, then do you go out and, you know, fight for something? No. I I... I understand your strategy in that you don't want to lose connection to it because it was, you want to honor the victims, you want to honor our country... You know, but when it comes, when we come then full circle back to mass shootings, we have to ignite action. So what is the strategy to do that? Right? Is that what you're asking? 855-616-1620. It's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Text around the 414. The media, to the media point, sensationalizes coverage of events, especially when it's tragic. Actually, I disagree with you completely. I... If if you were to, and we'll, we'll get to the, this Times uh, editorial in a moment, if you were to flip around on Wednesday, CNN wasn't covering the Milwaukee shooting. They, they had it, but not the way they would have covered it had it happened five, ten years ago or before that. Fox wasn't. MSNBC wasn't. So, no, you're wrong, 414 Texture. There was no sensationalism. In fact, it was the complete opposite of sensationalism. That was not happening whatsoever. That's the point of this discussion. That it was a blip. It was a blip on the media radar nationally. Nationally. Obviously not locally. We can all, we all agree on that. Okay, 855-616-1620. How do you prevent being desensitized from these events? This one close to home? Probably not. But on the grander scale, is there anything we can do? Two six two texter. In order to prevent becoming desensitized, you have to have morals and values. We need to start caring more about our neighbors, friends, and just people in general. All right, here is so the it, it's uh, Brian Boyle. He writes for the L.A. Times. You found this piece yesterday. He's a Marquette alum, though. So that's the ties to Milwaukee, and he and he he talks about how this one hit him so close to home because he knows the city well, even though he's working over there on the West Coast. 
And he writes in part, what's really messed up, what really scares me is that this tragedy barely pierced the mass consciousness. As I search for any shred of online updates, my Twitter feed, stocked full of media types and gatekeepers and drivers and discussers of news, remained inundated with the same old, same old, the inconsequential minutia of our magnified election cycle and beyond. And please spare me that Twitter is not real-life comments, because when I flipped on a traditional news outlet, he references CNN, Wolf Blitzer was consumed by coronavirus. There was no mention of the story still unfolding in Milwaukee. Do we even care anymore? What does it say that a directionless argument in the most recent Democratic debate over who has and who hasn't sufficiently supported gun control made more of an impression on the media than an actual real-world instance of gun violence? He goes on, It's scary. Even worse than my feeling of helplessness is my feeling of self-contempt. Because only after this pandemic of violence plucked one string too close to my heart did I feel a unique sense of unreality uh, and fear and frustration. Only after my forever home away from home, Marquette guy, fell victim to a mass shooting did I beg my editors to let me write about the now routine act of violence to use the platform at my disposal however small and pointless it may be, to speak out. Because there's a version of reality where instead of studying journalism at Marquette, I studied in Pittsburgh or El Paso or Gilroy or literally any of the countless other communities traumatized by similar acts of cowardice. And I would have written this exact piece then, only with a few proper nouns swapped out. He's ticked off at the lack of attention that the national media gave Milwaukee on Wednesday. Yes, with coronavirus in the news. Yes, with the debate. And the president doing whatever the president was doing on on Wednesday. That is obviously part of it. But I think the media, again, nationally missed an opportunity and they missed a responsibility. I mean, I know that you were, Meg, you you didn't have a chance maybe to flip around on on the networks and see it yourself. But it was not there. It was mentioned eventually. No, I know that. But it was not there. Yeah. Well, do you want to know what I think? Please. I think it's not necessarily a strategy of becoming resensitized to it. I think if we are going to become resensitized to it, sadly, it is going to take one of two things. One being a really mass killing, right? Dozens or hundreds to grab the nation's attention, right? Because in relative terms, five victims, sadly doesn't make it to national news. Or, and this one I think is even more sad, it will take a mass shooting that involves someone who's very well known. Hmm. Because that sparks interest, it sparks attention, it sparks action, right? So, both scenarios are incredibly sad because if you think back, uh, the nightclub shooting in Orlando I think was uh, almost 60 people. Um, And actually, you know what, I'm gonna say one more thing. Three options. Uh, It would take the victims being very, very young, similar to a Sandy Hook. Yeah. Isn't that sad? Christina in Hartford. Hi, Christina. You're on WTMJ. Hi. Um, I'm actually, it's going to sound weird, not too offended that we didn't get a whole lot of national coverage over this. Um, When it happened, I listened to TMJ. I listened to Channel 12 when I was at home in front of a TV and then I almost turned on the national news at 5.30, but I said, nope, because I don't respect national news coverage anymore. It's really hard to respect a lot of um, mainstream 
coverage of anything anymore. And I think, um, you know, Tommy Brown knows about TMJ. TMJ did an outstanding job knocking it out of the park, staying calm, um, not hyping it, um, sticking only to the facts, um, keeping it personal. And, um, you know, maybe maybe that mm. will get the national attention, not that I even care, but that's what made it so important to me because I almost sheltered myself from the whole story. But then we did start talking about the victims and I said, you know, I do want to know them and I do want to know about the little girl who is collecting cards. Those are the things that we should be talking about because that's the thing that almost makes me want to cry right now, not the fact that this is quote unquote mainstream because it's not, it doesn't happen all the time. And when it does, we need to bring out the love and we need to focus on that. I don't care that CNN didn't cover it. I don't care. Thanks for the call, Christina. You echo a sentiment that's coming across on the text line as well. We'll get to that in a moment. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong in this one. And I, I, I'll admit if I am, maybe I should not be ticked off at, at the at the net. Maybe it is a matter of who cares. Well, when we're back, I'll tell you why I think you're yeah. being a little hypocritical. Scott Warris, Meg McKenzie in for the vacationing Jeff Wagner. Um, you can make your point as to why I'm being hypocritical here in just a moment. But. Okay. He, I know you're looking forward to forward it. To We're that. all waiting. Yeah. Oh. yeah, you can get involved at 855-616-1620. Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, two elements here at play, that being the role of the national media to help us as society resensitize, if that's, is that, yeah, that's a word, or to prevent us from being desensitized, or maybe you just don't care. And, and so if that's the case, how do you go about making sure, no, this is going to make an impact on my life? Screw CNN. Forget about Fox. I'm not going to rely on them. I'll find other ways to make sure that these tragedies have a role in my life. So that's what we're discussing. Give us a call. Shoot us a text. A 414 texter. When a mass shooting happens... I make sure I go and find out about the victims and their families. I then imagine what it would be like to be there or what I would do. That typically helps me to not just become numb to it, despite it almost getting to that point, because hearing that kind of news just makes you feel emotionally tired. So sometimes you got to go to an uncomfortable extent to feel the emotion and to prevent yourself from becoming numb. So, Scott, you were saying that you're kind of blaming, not kind of, you're blaming the media for aiding in us becoming desensitized to mass shootings. For- that they don't provide the coverage to mm-hmm. keep us um, engaged, keep us keep our level of care high enough mm-hmm. where it should be. Because I agree with you. It should be much higher than it is. Yeah. The role that the national media plays in that is important. Not solely. That's not the only way that we can go about doing it. But you're right. They're, they're letting us down in that respect. But it's a hypocritical thing to say that, however. Do you know how many mass shootings have occurred in the United States this year, in 2020? I don't. What would you guess? I have no... Well, well, okay, so they define it as, is it three or more or four, four or more? Four or more. Um, in 2020, I will say, where are we, February, two months, so two months, um, 20? 
I'm assuming there's more that we haven't heard about because of the very fact and the argument I'm making. 20. 28. 28. 28 mass shootings, according to that criteria, for victims or more so far this year, which in and of itself is frightening. But it's hypocritical for you to blame the national media because you didn't bring it up when the 27 shootings prior to Milwaukee's happened. We didn't know about, I don't recall any of them, if I'm being honest. So to say that the media was, the national media was to blame for this, we should have been blaming them when the first one happened this year, when the second and the third and the 12th and the 25th. We're at 28 now, so. I agree with you. Yeah. That's no, I mean, going, I, 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 I yeah. don't know that's, I'm being hypocritical. I, I, I agree. I agree. They they should have been giving attention. You're right. The fact that I didn't know the number is kind of proving my point that, hello, CNN and Fox. Everybody. I don't think it's the media's fault, though, that we're desensitized. No, I it, think it, it, it solely rests on the, um, the, the vast number of them, how many times this has happened, right? So when it happened the first time, obviously, for instance, remember back, was it the 80s when the... Postal service mm-hmm. was it became a chronic problem. Well, look, the, real quick, the phrase "going postal" yeah, yeah. But then started first, for a reason. Yeah, but then you know, in in my recent memory, it was Columbine in '99, mm-hmm. where you know it was sort of became this epidemic. That was for me the beginning of the epidemic when it comes to schools and workplaces, right? In the nightclub and the Vegas shooting, that sort of stuff, mass killings, and so so many have happened. Now, that is why we are desensitized. That is why I don't think there is a way to become resensitized to it. I agree with you, but it's not an it's not an either or. There are several contributing factors to it. It is not and I hope I haven't given that 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 sentiment because I don't believe it is not the entire onus is on media, national media okay, to make sure that every shooting hits me in a way that I have to feel it deeply. That is a that is a piece of it. That is a piece of it. Another factor in the desensitization is the overall number of shootings. We said that yesterday. So th- there are all pieces. But if we're if we're discussing how do we prevent, how do we do everything we can as a society to feel in these moments of tragedy the impact that is important. As years go by, as shootings pile up, we can be aided by the news coverage that we consume. I don't want to live in a world where we're resensitized to mass shootings. I want to live in a world where there are no mass shootings. I think well, that's, I agree, the, that's I a agree. battle we need to no, fight. No, I, and I agree with that. I, I'm not saying that that I'm, I'm, of course, who doesn't want these things to end? I'm not saying that, that, that. That that's secondary whatsoever. Let's go to the phones. Uh, Jeff in Big Bend. He's been holding. Hi, Jeff. Hello. Um, well, I you know, uh, I, there's. I'm a fact based guy. There's you know numbers. Numbers don't lie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you've been throwing out words like epidemic, pandemic, chronic, and all of that. There's 330 million people in this country. On average, every year, there's about 36,000 deaths by firearm. Of that 36,000, 20,000 are suicide. That leaves roughly 14,000. Of that 14,000, roughly 500. These are 2017 CDC statistics, okay? Of that 14,000, roughly 500 are police. 
um, police shootings. Okay, so now you have 13,600 gun deaths. Okay. We're following you. We're listening. What's your point, Jeff? Out of three, it's statistically irrelevant. What is? There's not a mass epidemic. What is? Gun what is? Gun violence. All of it. You don't gun think violence. it's a problem? Hang on. You, you, you I, don't, don't... I, don't, I don't think it's a problem. I don't think it's a problem. Statistically, mathematically, four and a half times more people die every year of medical malpractice. Where's your outrage? You are not outraged by what happened here on Wednesday. <laughs> Absolutely, I am. And okay. my heart, I have friends that work at Miller. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely, I am. Mm-hmm. But to say, whoa, what are, we're, I want to live in a society where mass shootings never occur. You cannot legislate it away we're n- unless you have we're absolute... Not, abs- we're, we're not making the argument that that legislation could be the be-all, end-all by any means. We're talking okay. about the... The desensitization of what's happening. And, and I don't, no matter how small, by comparison, the statistics may be, just the raw numbers of it, I, I, I don't think that that should be used as an excuse to not Do feel the damage and the pain or, or just to not act, to try of to make it as small okay, as the problem act, is statistically to try and, and fix it and solve it. Okay, but as soon as you say act and try and fix it, now you're getting into those areas where things start coming up like unconstitutional confiscation or red flag laws and all the things you're not talking about today, and I don't want to swerve into that because that's not your topic, okay? But now all of those things start rearing their head, and now you have a problem. You have a big constitutional problem, and you do not legislate 330 million people for the actions of 13,600. I just, you don't. I, I want to make sure, Jeff. I fundamentally disagree with Jeff here. Yeah. I, I, be, <gasps> and I can't even no, believe you took this conversation in the direction that you are. You, that's like it's saying that's like saying that the number of people who irrelevant. die from ALS every year is so small that we shouldn't do anything to save their lives. Of course we should, and we will. Uh, I, you know, again, I I look at things in, in a in a. You know, statistical cost-benefit analysis. And I live in a world of I reality never, I ne- and love and emotion, not just I live numbers, in a, no, Jeff. I live just in because a, world a small of number of people well, die from it. And, and I, have never, I have never, ever agreed with the whole, if it saves one life, it's worth it argument, ever. And I will never agree with that argument. That is not a good argument to make. What is the value of a life, one life, to you? Um, against the overall rights of liberty. He's making this into a debate uh, that we're not getting into today, Scott. I, How- and I understand that, but can yeah. I can I give you one one quick anecdote? I have a 17 year old daughter, high school senior. Mm-hmm. Okay, and she said, "What if I died in a mass shooting? What would you think about red flag laws and confiscation and all that?" And I said, "Honey, you know I love the Constitution." I said, I would not want to give up my gun rights at all. And, you know, I love you more than anything. And she looked at me and said, Dad, I understand. Thanks, Jeff. So we'll leave it at that. Appreciate your uh, your views, your perspective. Scott and Megan for Jeff on WTMJ. Sometimes, sometimes the... Let the caller talk, and um, sometimes the words stand on their own, and 
Yeah. Still not the time and place to move into that debate right I, now. I, so that's why we just wanted to kind of move on because mm-hmm. there is a time and a place for it. I don't dispute that. It's just not right now when we're still reeling from the tragedy yesterday. One more call and then we'll move on. David on the east side. Hi, David. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon. And I have to agree with your guest about the previous caller that the statistics is not a place for uh, a reaction to an event like this. I think that uh, a, a more appropriate reaction is a sensible look at uh, the fact that we are basically numb to these things happening. Correct. And to affect change, there's some simple things that we can all agree on. And the previous caller said that the red flag laws are a red line for him. But I think a decent red flag law would be a person identified as a potential danger to himself or others is subject in most states to a 72-hour hold or observation. In such a case where there might be a gun threat to someone, their gun should be confiscated and they should be afforded appearance uh, before a judge. Okay. And, and, and again, hours. David, I, 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 we really wanted to. This was not a conversation necessarily intended not to go. Yet. Right. Not yet to go down the what weapon was used and and the gun debate. The gun right. debate. Right. Not not having that here and now. I understand the point you're making, and I do appreciate the call. Um, nobody. We got to table this. Yeah. We got to table this. But we table it's it all. But we. <laughs> I know we're not fixed. We're not solving any problem here sitting on a radio show. I get that. But we'll table it to the next shooting. Hey, let's table it to the next one if we hear about I, it. I'm not saying tabling it to the next shooting. However, Scott, <laughs> these victims have not even buried their mem- their family members yet. Now is not the time to be talking I about agree. the gun debate. Yeah. No, I'm so, with you on that one. Two way. Put um, it on the table for now. When we come back, we got to talk Corona. Friday. We we, we got to talk. Hey. The news, the news app. We got to talk coronavirus. And we, we touched on it really briefly at the end of yesterday's show because I told you when it comes to coronavirus, I am much more concerned as an American living in the Midwest. I'm much more concerned about what's happening economically than I am of the health risk to me and anyone near me. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. In fact, I would proudly declare that. And I will to you. And you'll give me the evil eye <laughs> like you're doing now and like you did yesterday when we come back. <laughs> what is the market looking like right now? <sighs> is this off? It's 878. It's right now down sitting at 24,800. This is the worst week in the market since... Uh, the uh, 2008, yeah, the collapse mm-hmm. when the the banking system went kaput. And this time it's coronavirus. And I said at the end of yesterday's show that on the overall coronavirus freakout scale, I have moved from a negative two about a month ago when the coronavirus was specifically a health risk, a a, a and solely a health problem. I am now up to a one or maybe now a two. <laughs> oh, from yesterday to today. Yes. Now you're at a two. Because 
not of the health factor, but because now the coronavirus has become an economic issue as well. And I I bet more Americans are feeling more concerned because of that than they are because of the health factor, unless you have somebody living or traveling or have, again, a a, a relation to the situation. Particularly if you have family abroad and um, more risky areas and that sort of stuff. Yeah. So now you're at a two. You're at a two because of the stock market, because of your portfolio. Are you not a little bit concerned, a little bit more concerned than you were originally? And when that was minimal to begin with, but still. Yeah, I mean, I am not concerned about the health risk, um, you know, to the extent that it, I, it, I would change my life in any way, shape, or form, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, I think we were talking yesterday how 80% of the cases are mild, so mild that Sometimes, you know, 80% of the actual confirmed cases are mild. So think about how many cases there are that were never confirmed, you know. Um, But when it comes to the stock market, yeah, I mean, I share some concern with you. You're talking to somebody, though, Scott, who's my currency is not money. My currency has never been money. It's never going to be money. So if you're talking about a debate on whether I care more about the health of people and the fact that people are dying and people's portfolios, I care more about people dying. I'm not saying that I care more about, well, but I am saying for me personally, I do care more about the market because I don't have any individual or or personal ties to what's going on with the coronavirus. So if this is going to hit close to home, it's going to hit me, you know, in in, in my IRA, in my 401A more so than and we shouldn't even just focus member. on, you know, each individual's portfolio. I mean, this is devastating to the economy. Yes. Yeah. The, and and not, so I, I'm not disagreeing with you there. And not just the U.S. economy. I mean, this is impacting the global. We always we live in a global economy. That's exactly what's happening. I right. mean, it, this because of the issue, it it's happening around the globe, which raises my freak out factor a little bit more, knowing. It's more than just the U.S. It's it's China, and we know the ties there economically with that nation. It's 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 Asia. It's Europe. This is a global uh, a global uh, impact being felt from a financial perspective. So, do you want to know what others think? I mean, where they're on a scale of one to five now? We're doing the one to five thing. <laughs> you are the man with the one to five. You love your scales. On I was a freak-out scale of one to five, where are you at now okay. compared to where you were a month ago when it was just a health crisis? All, yeah, taking everything, all, all things, health, finances, everything, wrap it all up, one to five, five, you're freaking out, one, you're, eh, whatever, we're fine. I'm now into the positive. I'm at a two. 855-616-1620. 855-616-1620 on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Where are you on your coronavirus freakout when we come back? Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ Scott Morris. Meg McKenzie on board. With Thanks me for having me. Today. Hey, no problem. Thanks for being here. <laughs> We're watching the text line. There's some heat out there. Oh, there is. Don't you love it? The text line allowing everybody to just react spontaneously in the Screen moment. Screen warrior. What do they call them? Keyboard warriors. I love you. I hate you. Yeah. Morris, you're, you're a moron. Scott, it's a great point. <laughs> Meg, you know what you're saying. Get her off the air. Meg, great counterpoint. 
I mean, it, it really is. We love is. you guys. We love you Yes, guys. it's good. Bring it all. Bring it all on. We'll I don't take all comers. I'm used to critici- criticism. I have very thick skin, partly because I started in radio with you, yeah. and you criticize me every hour of every day. And what did I say? Every in, day. What did I say in 2005? When I when I would when I would bring you down to tears in the WOKY studio, I said, "I'm toughening you up. One day you will." Isn't appreciate it weird this. how you remember things differently than reality? Those were your tears. Remember, you said, were the crier. I'm toughening you up. Now here's Frank Sinatra <laughs> on WOKY. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Our good, good old t- walkie days. Good times and great oldies. Good old walkie days. Mm-hmm. Right. Secret sound contest coming up at 2.30 today, by the way. Real quick. So let, I wanna, we're, we're going to get to the coronavirus freakout scale. Some of you have uh, held on through the news. 855-616-1620. It's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and text line. Scale of 1 to 5. Oh, my gosh. People are giving the funniest numbers. Like, literally, just give us 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Well, but if you're in the middle, then there's a fraction that's involved. Or a pie. We did this back on February 1st, so almost a month ago, you and I did a Saturday show, and we were asking where you were on the freakout scale, when the coronavirus was primarily a health concern. Now, it is a health concern and an economic concern, and I have gone from a negative two a month ago to a one or a two in the positive now. Um, real quickly, on the text line, before we get to those of you on hold, Scott, it's not the plague. The recession will most likely be short-lived, and the market will recover. Cover your mouth and wash your hands. What? Oh, I got it. Um, two six two. Make the best of a situation with a down market. This is a great time to buy stock. That's what I thought of yesterday. Isn't that terrible? Well, what? It's. it's... I don't know. I feel gar- guilty. <laughs> buy low, sell high. Yeah. Okay. This will be a short-term drop, but the strength of the market will eventually return. Long-term is what one should consider. I'm hoping whoever is doing your portfolio is really making good judgments in your favor. This will pay off in the long run. The number of stocks owned increases with the same dollar amount invested. And so you're right. Look, stock market will be fine. We know it's up and down, up and down, but over the long term, it's on a, it's on an uptick. It's, you know, it, it's the old, uh, what's the game from Price is Right? The, the yodeler, yodeler, do, 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 yes. tell me when to stop. Oh. That's what the stock market is going up. Yeah. You know, the Alpines. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Know. That's the. Cliche I was going for. Also, CNN just had, I don't know, some C- a CDC person, some coronavirus expert on. Do you know what made him an expert without having the volume on the TV? Do you know how I knew he was an expert? No. Bow tie. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> He's wearing a bow tie. Come on. That's what I want to calm our fears. More people with bow ties telling us it's going to be okay. All right. Scale, we, have, we have a range here. Scale of one to five. Five being freak out. One being, um, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. Mike in Franksville. Mike, where are you on the freakout scale? I'm right about a two and a half. Right in the middle. Squarely in the middle. And are you are you more concerned, Mike? That are you more concerned about coronavirus now uh, because it's a an economic problem? Yeah, well, and it seems to be becoming more of a global problem and an economic problem here and I assume abroad. But I wanted to draw some parallels and some conflict between this point and your previous, if you have time for it. Some parallels between our previous topic? Correct. Real quick. What do you got? I don't think this is going to be quick. Uh, The the parallel that I would draw is that 
Um, we're talking about uh, desensitization to incidents that are killing people. And we kind of come up with this uh, hype after hype after hype with these health scares, West Nile, avian flu, bird flu, influenza A, all of those things. SARS. So there's some parallels there that I would draw as far as desensitization goes and that maybe if it hurts, hurts us directly, we have a little more concern rather than if it doesn't. The conflict I wanted to draw is if we're really worried about action on your first point regarding the violence, um, why are we not concerned about the health scare, which has the potential to quickly and more drastically affect a lot more people? I think just broadly speaking, and this is going to sound kind of <laughs> not not good, not nice. I mean, I, I think the idea of trying to solve shootings is, a, I think, a more visceral urge than solving an illness. Does that make sense? I mean, it, it's, oh, I it, 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 it's, it's just it, there's a certain salaciousness in the topic of solving gun violence than it is solving a flu virus, just to put it really yeah, broadly. My, my primary concern for the conflict there was just that the coronavirus has the potential to dramatically escalate quickly, whereas the violence issue is not escalating at near the rapid pace that the coronavirus would have the ability to. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Mike. I, I think there, there are some parallels in the in the broader sense that uh, I'm going to take a, take what he said or what you said, Scott, one step further too. In that we all have an ability to impact the solution to mass shootings. I think when it comes to a virus, most of us remove ourselves from the solution because we're not the experts. We're not the doctors, we're not the scientists, we're not the researchers. So I think maybe that, yeah. We have less control over a possible solution. We feel like we've got more control, yes, in, in, or uh, influence in solving right. the problem of mass shootings than we would with a coronavirus or another virus, yeah. Paul and Sheboygan, where are you on the freak-out scale? Well, I guess uh, we're at about a four right now. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, wow. For a, a, a multiple of reasons. Personally, I'm not worried for my own health. I'm certainly worried about health around the world. You know, the mortality rate last number I saw was only 2%. Mm -hmm. That's just like a conventional flu. But uh, the financial part of it might be longer lasting than, you know, we look at it first glance. I, I just saw on the, um, on the Internet that some of the tourist industries may take a number of years to, to get over. And for my personal finances, I'm pushing 70 and soon to retire. So we're going to be tapping into that 401 that's, um, you know, going through the floorboards right now. And along with that, after we retire, we had hoped to travel some. And, and in the top two was China. So that might be a little bit um, sketchy going forward. So that's that's my personal concerns. I can see why you're a four. Makes total sense. Right. Thanks, Paul. Yeah. Appreciate it very much. Again, like our last topic, um, it's one of those where how close yes. does the coronavirus, from a health perspective, from a travel perspective, it, it, it all, it, it's all very individual. How, how close does this situation hit you in any number of ways? And the closer, the, the higher the, the rating. And that's a great point. You know, I, I come from it from somebody 
you know, in his 30s, who knows that even if this is a rough week or a rough stretch of a couple weeks for the market, by the time I'm plucking from my IRA, things will be fine. But for those who are close to retirement, yeah, this is a bit more. Mm-hmm. You, you're a four on the freakout scale. Gianni and Craig will come to you in a moment. 855-616-1620. Room for you as well on the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We've done this now, I think, three times over the last month. Where are you, scale of one to five, for any number of reasons, on the coronavirus freakout scale? Back to the phones. Gianni and Montello, where are you on the coronavirus freakout scale? Well, I'll give you two numbers. Um, as far as a health standpoint in the United States, I am at about a two. Um, but I am a bit flummoxed uh, why this virus hasn't hit the United States uh, in the last month uh, at a greater rate. Uh, we don't seem to have any cases other than um, those those passengers coming from Japan. But given the given the amount of air traffic the, the United States gets from Asia, um, you know, I, it is surprising that we've contained it as well as we we have. Now, as far as the economic number, I'm going to say a four because I am concerned when you see what's happened um, in the last four days. Economic ramifications throughout the world over the next year may be significant. And, it, you know, who knows where, where this market is going to go. Um, so, um, yeah, even even when not if, but when the U.S. market rebounds and it will it may take some time, but it will. There, there are going to be long term uh, uh, long term effects in Asia. Um, you know, I, I just saw a story uh, where Japan uh, they're going to be closing some schools, uh, maybe the Olympics. I mean, this is certainly being felt in a, a myriad ways in other parts of the country, more so than in the U.S. right now. But, yeah, e- even when we get back to normalcy, there will be parts of the globe that are dealing with the after effects uh, from a health perspective, from an economic perspective for a while. Right. And I have a uh, I've spent some time in Japan. Japan is a very crowded country. And a friend of mine is soon soon to go back there because he has uh, several businesses. And, um, you know, he, he's he's in a, you know, uh, confounded as to why or what, what he's going to do with his employees and uh, students that, that come to his schools. But also. I have family in the Philippines, in the the southern province of Mindanao. And again, you know, I'm I'm surprised that um, uh, the Philippines has has not been more impacted by this. Uh, Indonesia has, South Korea, I I mean, uh, you have China. um, So I I worry because um, a city like uh, Manila, 16 million people, if it ever got going there, they do not have the medical facilities to, to, to handle such a, such an outbreak. And that, that concerns me most, I think. Well, let's hold uh, out hope that the Philippines... Really this country. What's they, that? Let's hold out hope that the Philippines does stay relatively mm-hmm. unscathed compared to other areas. The point you make, Johnny, appreciate the call as always. Uh, and, and I think you made this point when we brought it up again back at the start of the month. The level of health care... Correct. In this country, especially, but a lot of the, uh, you know, more, would we say, civilized nation, 
the level of health care that's provided and available is a big reason why a lot of us on the text line and whatnot are not all that concerned, even though there are uh, f- several cases with several dozen cases here in the U.S. Even the story out this morning that in California, there's a patient that apparently has the coronavirus, but they don't know the origin. They, they weren't overseas. They, 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 they weren't traveling. They don't know how they got it, but they've got it. Even then, you know that we have the very best health care and, and, and the, the best medicine there is in this country. And that is, a, for me, more a peace big, of mind. Yeah. big uh, safety blanket, I guess. One more. Craig and Beaver Dam, where are you putting this on the scale, Craig? Well, I'm, I'm up to a three. I, I talked to you a couple weeks ago when you were filling in for Jeff. And, and hey, Scott and uh, Meg, both of you, I appreciate how passionate you are about all your topics. Um, and I'm glad you're above water on this now because you were negative when I talked to you last I was, time. I'm a negative. I, I, was below, I was below the water line then. Yeah, you were below sea level, but I'm glad you're looking at this. I just think this is just, I'm not going to go into great detail. This is just such a big topic. But you know what? When when they open up that Wuhan province again, you know, what was that, 13 million people? Um, you know, uh, it's going to start spreading. Have you ever seen those container ships coming uh, across the you know, ocean and getting unloaded? They don't know where this person in California got it. Well, she could have been unloading silk flowers or tilapia or Who knows? You know, one of those. Who knows? We get, you know, so it is going to affect the world. I'm proud to be an American because we have energy independence and we have, you know, a, a lot of security. It could have been a lot worse. All I'm saying is uh, this is going to be a long-term impact. This isn't going to be something that uh, is, is, you know, in, until there is either a cure, and there's not going to be a cure, there's going to be a deterrent. But uh, this is going to go on for a long time. And, and once they open up all of China again, you know, in, in the United States, uh, there's only, you know, 330 million people. There's billions in China. It's gonna it's gonna continue to spread, but China's got to open up because we do need the electronics, we do it, need the car parts. Yeah, but there's so much more that I mean, all these little plastic gadgets we get. So it, it's it's and again, even if it's not a killer, if it makes people sick and you got to shut down a business or a school, there's an impact mm-hmm. that's going to go on long term. Thanks for taking my call. You guys have a great weekend. You too, Craig. Thank you, Craig. Yeah, it, it's a it's a global economy. And there are little small businesses that are relying on on getting a shipment of whatever from overseas. And if that dries up or is just suspended for a while, that impacts a business, that impacts people, that impacts families and income and so on and so forth. The, 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 the tentacles that are growing from the coronavirus. You're sounding like a three now. <laughs> talking myself you into a You're talking yourself up. <laughs> Craig's talking you up. Right. So here's the question. Um, a month from now. Let's are, not talk about a month. Are from we? Now. Let's are just, we? Are let's we? Just still, take it one day at a time a until month. we get there, because we don't know what could potentially happen in the next thirty days. I feel like we're going to revisit this, though. So yeah, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Hopefully, the market rebounds, though. Although right now, <clears throat> not so much. No. Ben McKenzie, Scott Warris, until until um, 
3 o'clock. I blanked out how long we're how long. What we, day is it? How long are we going what today? What time is it? What day is it? What time is it? All right, I'm going to tell you, I rarely agree with Giselle Bunchen. <laughs> I'm going to admit Mrs. that. Mrs. Tom Brady. Mrs. Tom Brady. Yes, her and I just are different people. However... You're a Packers fan. She's a Patriots fan. Or she was, anyway. We'll see if she still is. That's the foundation right there. However, she did say something this week that I am on board with. She... I am 100% in agreement with Giselle Bunchen. It's happened. I agree with her. Mark, mark the tape. All right. I want to know why. Jeff is on vacation. He's in the desert. That's the only clue I'm going to give. And he's hoping to come back more, more profitable than when he left the Midwest. Hint, hint. Uh, he'll be back on Monday. Scott Warris and Meg McKenzie taking you through your Friday edition of the Wagnerless program. By the way, uh, after 2 o'clock, we're going to have some Friday frivolity in lieu of Pop Culture Corner. And uh, start thinking now your guilty pleasure TV shows. That that program you watch that maybe your spouse or your significant other, they really don't know you watch to escape. We're going to have you admit it on the air. I watch mine with my spouse. We just don't tell anyone else. Fair, well, <laughs> now you're going to talk about it on the radio. So that's coming up at 207. We'll lighten the mood. It's been a tough week. Have some fun here at the end of the week. But you are agreeing with Mrs. Tom Brady on, and that's something you normally don't do. She lives in a world that I just cannot relate to. And when she gives some of her opinions it's just very apparent that her and i live in different worlds and there's just she's she has no connection to the kind of life you know that i lead and i I just can't relate to her life either however she said something this week that i connected with and i was really surprised i went huh uh and that is she is she has a stepchild she has a um tom brady had a child with uh bridget moynihan right around the time that Tom Brady and Giselle Bündchen started dating. And actually, it's the exact time that they started dating. And she doesn't like the word stepmom. The journalist asked her a question about being a stepmom. And she said, I don't actually like the word stepmom. And Hmm. I agree with her. Doesn't the word stepmom have just this negative connotation to it? It It does. Now that you mention it, and I don't have a stepmom. Now that you mention it, though... Stepmom. I, you yes, know when you say it, it just has this negative feeling to huh. it. And I agree with her. I, I, I'm i not a stepmom. My husband is a stepdad. And isn't it weird that stepdad doesn't have a negative connotation to it? But, you know, you think of the wicked stepmother. See, that's where I think it comes from. I think it's, for lack of a more appropriate term, it's the Cinderella, uh, Cinderella syndrome. Cinderella syndrome. The wicked stepmother and the... And then all stepmoms have this bad reputation, you know? So, and she, I don't agree with it because she calls herself a bonus mom. I call Andy a bonus dad because I feel like, you know, he has a unique impact on my boys, on our Mm. boys' life. I have three teenage boys and um, he can relate to them in a way that I can't, you know, partly Mm -hmm. because Andy's quite a bit younger than me. (laughs) Not a lot younger than me, but he's five years younger than me. Uh, And, and, um, so I, I do call him a bonus dad because I feel like he is a bonus in their life. And hopefully Giselle is a bonus, it sounds like, to her uh, stepson. But 
I agree with her. I if I was a stepmother, I probably wouldn't want the title of stepmom. Has the term, the label, the title, stepmom, stepmother, has it run its course? Does it? Do you think it has the negative connotations that you feel it does, and Giselle feels that it does, and maybe you don't use that Ma- four-letter word. Maybe. Actually, it's one thing. <laughs> um, do do you have a different word for it? Is, is it bonus mom? Is it just mom? It might very well just be mom. In some families, I'm sure it is. Eight five five. In some families, it's probably words we can't say on the radio. But six one six one six twenty. Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line eight five five six one six one six twenty. I really do think it goes back to Cinderella. For <laughs> for all of us, something was planted in our minds watching the movie, reading the book, whatever, watching the cartoon, and so it has a negative connotation. Thanks, I, I, Disney. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. I never thought about it that way before. (laughs) 855-616-1620. Do you agree with Meg and Giselle or Stepmoms Unite? Are you okay with that title? All right. By the way, coming up in about 10 minutes from now, somebody that is pretty much just known as Ed from Milwaukee, the recipient of a heart, of a heart transplant, Mere days after he called in during our Radiothon, raising money for the American Heart Association, the Southeast Wisconsin chapter, and told his story. I, I shared what happened in the days after when his son emailed in what had happened. He's he was to- given two weeks to live. Yep. I mean, at the age of 53. This is a remarkable story. We're talking to Ed in a couple minutes. But first we're debating the label of stepmom. Is there a stigma attached to it? What what, yep. is, what, what does Giselle call oh, want to be called? Bonus mom. Bonus mom. I've heard that term a lot. Yeah. I, usually you don't call yourself bonus mom. But. Okay. <laughs> to uh, a fellow Stalesian, it's Danny. Hi, Danny. Hey, how you doing? Good. What what, what do you make of the, the stepmom label? Well, I, don't, I actually have a stepdad. And... I'm not crazy about the stepdad label because I grew up watching horror movies and there was a series of stepdad horror movies mm. that, you know, kind of turned me against there that word. Is? Oh, yeah. You know, where the dad seems really nice at first and then <gasps> ends up killing everybody. Oh, my gosh. Okay. There's, there's a whole bunch of movies like that. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, they're always played, played by guys like John Travolta. <laughs> um, <laughs> so maybe, so I, maybe it's the step. Prefix in well, uh, prefix in general. Yeah. What do you call your dad? So what, well, what ended up happening was my dad died, so my mom got remarried a few years later, and I was fine with the whole idea. So I was, I'm just like, well, what do I call him other than his first name? So I just came up with Dad Version 2.0. Oh. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's right. very nice. It still honors your own dad. You know, it doesn't. Yeah, really and I was sitting, I was sitting in front of the computer at the time, and I'm like, "What should I call him?" And then I'm like, "Hey, Dad version two point that works." I would, I would like shorten it to V two. V two. Thank you, Danny. That's good, Danny. I like All that. Right. Uh, text line has got some suggestions here. Um, how about second mom? What would you feel about second mom? That actually has a pretty co- uh, positive tone to it. Mm-hmm. I'm a buyer oh. on that. Here we go. Um, text line. I am a stepmom. And I hate the word. Aww. And really, why do we need these categories anyway? 
I don't call my husband a step-husband because we're together by legal marriage. Uh, why do we call parents step when they've been brought together because of a legal marriage? Okay. So I am the mom of three boys mm-hmm. who have a stepmom. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I come from a perspective of I can be kind of sensitive. <laughs> so if she were to start calling herself mom to my kids, that would be really, really hard for me. So I get what Texter is saying right there. You know, you want, we are all a family. Why do we need to have different labels? However, I think it's really important, and this comes from a sensitive place for me, to respect, you know, mm-hmm. their parent. So, and, and just like my husband Andy would never replace my boy's dad, you know, but he's he plays a, a different but more but very impactful role in their life. That's why bonus dad is a great, you know, it's weird to say that. Hey, bonus dad, but my boys call him Andy. Another person, stepmom works for me, but no need to have to say stepmom. Yeah, just, you wouldn't refer. Just mom. So there are people out there, oh. but but saying just mom, like like you just alluded to, that may not sit well with uh, birth mom, right? Yeah, I'm not birth mom. I am mom. And it, it would be very hurtful to me, I'll be honest. It would hmm. be very hurtful to me if uh, the boys' stepmom wanted to be called mom. I built them cell by cell for nine months. <laughs> I birthed them, and that would be hurtful to me for them to call anyone else mom. It just would. You've known them from zygote stage. I have. And any time you get a chance to work zygote into conversation. They have heard my heartbeat from the inside. You should take it. (laughs) Um, I love this discussion, though. I mean, it's... I believe there's nothing wrong with being called a stepmother or stepfather. I have two stepchildren that I love like my own. And as long as you are a parent and love them, it doesn't matter what you call yourself or I assume they're saying what anybody else would title you as what about an other somebody saying an other mother <laughs> that's my other mother my other mother yeah mm. i don't know it's just it's just that and you hit the nail on the head i think the wicked stepmother connotation it just has this and then you think about you know stories and i i feel as though families have made progress you know the generation before us um and i can only speak from my own personal experience um weren't as conscious about the well-being of, gosh, I'm going to insult people right now, and I apologize. There's just this sort of collective consciousness now, conscious now, mm-hmm. in this day and age, to um, you know really put a lot of focus on the kids' well-being in terms of in times of turmoil, right? So, for instance, you know, me growing up, a lot of families broke apart, and there was collateral damage. I feel as though a lot of families, not all of them, have made progress towards lessening that collateral damage. So maybe stepmom, the term stepmom can kind of recover from its bad reputation now. Because the role is not bad. The role is wonderful. I think it's terrific if children have two women in their lives, you know, influencing them in great ways. But that's that word stepmom. I agree with Giselle Bunchen. It just has this bad reputation. Blame Disney. Land Disney, <laughs> Walt Disney, doggone it! You've ruined it. You're long gone, dead and gone. But he's ruined the the stepmom mantra moving forward because of Cinderella. Cinderella. When we come back, um, I've been wanting to do this for a couple weeks. It's been a rough week, a lot of bad news that we we've had to discuss and had to talk through. But before we get out of here on a Friday, 
Um, and we'll, we'll we'll have some lighter fare coming up after two o'clock. Uh, I want to catch up with Ed from Milwaukee. Ed from Milwaukee called in a couple weeks ago during a radiothon, raising money as we were, and Gene was, for the American Heart Association, heart disease, trying to fight that. And Ed called up and talked about being on the waiting list for a heart and waiting and waiting and waiting and wasn't sure when or if that would ever happen. And if it didn't happen, you kind of know where that's going. Well, a couple days later, got an email that I shared with all of you that he got his heart just mere days after he called us. So I said, you know what, when he's feeling up to it, let's have him back on the air to kind of complete the story. Let's let's round it all out. So when we come back, Ed from Milwaukee and his new heart will join us and we'll uh, hear how it all played out. I know it's something near and dear to all of your hearts as well. Megan Scott in for Jeff. Scott Warris, Meg McKenzie on a Friday. Hey, tomorrow's a leap day. Extra day. Bonus day tomorrow. Bonus mom, bonus dad, bonus day. (laughs) (laughs) The 29th. All right. Um, Speaking about bonus days and bonuses. uh, Gosh, what was this? Three, one, two, three. I think three, four, three and a half weeks ago or so ago on a Friday morning, we had a radiothon, your generosity, $15,000 in about two hours. In just two hours, raising money for um, to, to help fight heart disease to the Southeast Wisconsin chapter of the American Heart Association. And during that radiothon, an unsolicited phone call came in from a gentleman named Ed from Milwaukee, who shared w- w- with emotion and understandably so his story of waiting for a heart and being on an LVAD, basically keeping him alive and keeping his heart operating as it should. That was a Friday. By early the following week, got a note, got an email that Ed had received his heart. He got the transplant. A remarkable, (laughs) a remarkable coincidence. And here about two weeks or so removed, it is Ed from Milwaukee and his new heart. Hi, Ed. Uh, Good afternoon, Scott. How are you feeling? Um, I'm I'm recovering from the effects of feeling like I got hit by a truck. Ah. It's uh, it's one of the most major surgeries you can go through to have a heart transplant. Um, so I'm in pain. I'm 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 suffering a little bit, but I'm alive. Yes. Thanks to the generosity of a a gentleman from Minnesota. Yeah. Take us through, if you could, in just a moment or two. Ed, take us through. You make that call on a Friday. Was it the following Monday or Tuesday you get the call? Tell us how that unfolded. It was the following Tuesday on uh, February 11th. I was getting ready to take a shower. When you're on an LVAD, you have to bag up and plastic up all your batteries and everything before you can take a shower. And uh, St. Luke's Hospital called and said they had a heart available. Um, And it's your choice whether you want to accept the heart. They'll tell you a little bit about where it's coming from what the heart's been through, if they were a smoker, drinker, et cetera. And uh, so I listened to what the doctor had to say, and I said, can I talk to the family for a few minutes? And he said, sure, I'll call you back in 10 minutes, Mr. Sunwitz. And uh, he waited. I spoke with my wife and my two children and told them about the heart, where it was coming from, a little bit about it. And uh, all three of them looked at me and said, do it, Dad. So I said, Okay, I said, I'll do this. Um, now, this is on the 11th of February. Um, Megan, you'll probably like this. Uh, the 12th of February is our 32nd anniversary. Aww. 
I received my heart on her 32nd one. I'm sorry, I'm getting a little emotional. It's just just the way it all happened and fell into place. And um, I'm lucky to be here. I'm lucky to have good family. My wife, it couldn't have been a better day. It's a day we'll never forget now. Ed, I don't know if you realize at the time when you called on that Friday how many people you impacted because when I then read your son's email, uh, probably the Wednesday or Thursday, you know, a day or two after the surgery, and, and, and on the air here, and told everybody, hey, remember Ed? Well, guess what happened? You'd be surprised at how many people emailed or texted in saying, I remember that call, <laughs> and Ed's comments about the importance of trying to fight and raise money to, to fight heart disease, it was because of his call that I, I actually was motivated to donate. You made and a I difference. Appreciate, I appreciate all the people doing that. Um, just goes to show you in hard times, like, what's going on in the world now between shootings and coronavirus and stuff, people out there still care about other people. Um, and without that caring, I mean, the technology that they that came before I needed that LVAD, there wouldn't have been no funds there for it. But because people are kind enough to donate, research goes on, and they're trying to fight this. This heart disease is the number one killer. It's A lot of people think cancer is the number one killer. Heart disease is. And as in the paper today with Bill Schroeder, he didn't know he, he was feeling sick. He just thought he was tired all the time and wanting to take a nap and exhausted. And now I think back to my time, that's how I was. I just thought, hey, I'm working hard. I'm tired. Um, nap, want to take a nap all the time and just rest. And like the doctors told me, they said that wasn't it. That was because my heart couldn't pump enough blood to it anymore um, to keep up with my, my organs. My organs were starting to shut down. They told me I had two weeks to live or get this pump attached to uh, my heart at St. Luke's. And uh, there was another discussion in the family there that day. And I chose to, I didn't want to be split open, um, but I chose the LVAD. And I lived fine on the LVAD for 13 months. Out of those 13 months, I worked, my employer, Zilver Property Group, kept me working for 10 of them so I could keep up with my insurance, all in the hope of getting the heart transplant. Um, and then it did. It came together after I talked to you on the your radio phone. It was five five days later, I got a call. It was like a miracle. I don't know if it was just because I was kind enough to share my story that God said, hey, let's get this guy his heart. But on the other hand, the flip side of that coin is somebody else had to pass away for me to get that heart, and that weighs heavy on me too at times. That, that's the underlying message too. Give the yeah. gift, you know. And one thing I wanted to make sure I uh, mentioned today too is sign the organ, organ right. donor card. right. It's important. I mean, from what I understand, the gentleman I got the heart from, he tragic accident. There was no, he wasn't going to recover, but he still had a good heart. Um, and I could use that heart. So in a way, yes, he's gone, but in a way he lives on in my heart. We've been talking with Ed from Milwaukee, who called us the morning of Friday, February 7th, during our WTMJ Cares Radiothon, sharing just a spontaneous call, uh, wanting to share his own story of uh, heart disease and, and uh, the LVAD that he was on and the fact that if he didn't get that heart, you wouldn't have much time left. And here we sit, uh, one, two, that's exactly three weeks ago. Exactly three weeks ago to the day. Yes. I, I have to ask, uh, you said you would have, the doctors told you you would have maybe two weeks left when you called us mm -hmm. on the 7th. 
Do you think if that did not happen, you'd be alive right now, today? Scott, them two weeks were actually at the beginning of uh, December 18th when they when I first went to the hospital. It was either I get the LVAD or I had two weeks to live. My kidneys and my liver were shutting down. Um, that was at, that was before I got the LVAD. Then I had two weeks. They told me in the hospital either you put, get this LVAD mm-hmm. or you you have two weeks to live. Um, that, yeah. yeah, that wasn't just be, uh, during the show. Sure. No, yeah, that was wrong there. That's that was back then. Um, and then they put me on the LVAD, which extended my life by 13 months to get to the point where I could have got the heart transplant. But even on the LVAD, that's not a permanent solution, right? I mean, the, 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 that that has a, a shelf life in and of itself, which is remarkable. Yes, by no means is that uh, right. a lifelong thing. It, it's got so many years to it. It's a mechanical pump that's attached to your heart, um, and you, you run by batteries and a power cord at night. And on, on the LVAD, you can take a turn for the worst at any right, time. and. Right. That you're done. Um, well, Ed, you're already returning the gift, returning the favor by spreading more awareness about how important it is to uh, for folks to see their doctor, to notice the signs and the symptoms, and also the awareness that you're bringing to organ donation, too, which is critical. So you're feeling a bit rough right now. Are you hoping, though, at some point to get back to work? Oh, I'm definitely going to get back to work. My employer, my employer said... Uh, They'll, they'll hold out as long as it needs to be so I can get back into shape, get my restrictions lifted, and get back to work. But I am definitely going back to work. Good for you. I could go on disability if I so choose to do so, but I have goals and goals to get back to work. Work is what keeps you strong and healthy. Good Amen. for you. Well, we're Ed, so glad. Yeah. I and happy anniversary. Yeah, that's true, too. 32 years. Ed, appreciate Thank it. You. And um, thanks again for sharing your message back uh, on the 7th and again here on the 28th. Congratulations. Keep getting better, okay, bud? Thanks to both of you, and have a great weekend. Stay safe, and get them hearts checked out. (laughs) Take care, Ed. Ed from Milwaukee. What a Um, remarkable story. A good story to end a rough week. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Scott Morris. And Meg McKenzie. All right. It is a Friday, been a rough week, been a long week. We're going to lighten the mood a little bit with, and normally in this time slot every Friday, uh, Jeff has his pop culture corner uh, because he has the copyright uh, copyrights to that mantra, and I don't want to be sued. He's a former federal prosecutor. You don't want to be sued by Wagner. We're just going to call this Friday Frivolity. Here's the question, because a couple weeks ago, the last time you and I worked together, you talked about your what's the proper uh, term here you talked about your deep deep passion commitment devotion obsession you can say it i'm dying you're dying to say it yes i'm obsessed with the bachelor yeah the show not the bachelor himself or maybe that too not this one (laughs) the show itself i have maybe i watched way back when it started 72 years ago but i that's just not my thing. But I admit that my, and that's what we're going to do, your guilty pleasure programs, television, Netflix, maybe you binge something, but something something you watch, you go to as a, as a release when you've had a long, stressful, bad week. And you know what? I just want to escape. Let me escape for a little while <laughs> into... 
I'm laughing because my obsession is on a Monday night. Isn't yours too? <laughs> a different How do you have a stressful week by well, Monday night? My, mine is, and I'll admit it, mine is professional wrestling. WWE, Monday Night Raw on uh, Mondays. Yeah. It's hard to believe I've known you for over 15 years, and I did not know that about you. You really were embarrassed. Some people know. Some people don't know. It's just one of those things where, yeah, I do it. I, I was a big wrestling kid watching it every weekend, every Saturday morning, and I've always had that. It'll, it, it, it'll come and go over the course of a year. I'll be watching it more than I can in other periods. But there's something to be said for everybody resorting to television and watching something as a release. So let's have some fun, some Friday fun. 855-616-1620, the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line, and then tell us why, obviously, you, you watch what you do. Be honest. You can give a fake name if you don't want to identify yourself by your true name, 855-616-1620. What is it? Because this ultimately goes to something inside each one of us. But what is it about The Bachelor in your case that is just, oh, man, I got to watch it. I know it's garbage, but I got to watch it. I don't even know if I know what it is. I, I Part of it is the mindlessness of it. You know, you kind of just need something that you don't need to think. Uh, you don't need to, I don't know. Uh, and then the other part is it's... Um, Andy and I call it Sacred Monday because my boys are, you know, back when we were dating, my boys would be at their dad's on Monday. So we always made sure that we didn't plan anything for Monday night. It was always going to be, you know, our night. So we end up watching The Bachelor and I watched it first. And I admit I got him hooked on it. And then my two best friends, I'm, I grew up in the Twin Cities and my two best friends from the Twin Cities are also addicts. So we constantly... <laughs> about it mm. i mean i just just texting them because they're going to announce the bachelorette on monday morning oh my god so i know so we're very excited for monday <laughs> do they still take one of the losers go tasha by the way do they still team tasha i'm team tasha do okay. they still take one of the losers from the bachelor to make her the bachelorette and then one of the losers she's not from... a loser she's a non-winner fair enough yes they take one of the non-winners typically and... Yeah. It continues uh-huh. to manifest. And Tasha was itself. a non-winner, and even I have two other guilty pleasures that are worse than The Bachelor. One being Bachelor in Paradise, which is a spinoff mm-hmm. of The Bachelor, and it is awful. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is just drama, <laughs> drama, drama. <laughs> and it, and I can't help it. I, we just love it. it. Starts in April. There is an escape. <laughs> is, no, it starts in the summer. This is going to be. Then my... there was The Bachelor Winter Games. Oh my. Now there's going to be the Bachelor Summer Games. There's some music spinoff. I'm not going to watch that one. This is like it's like Law and Order. There's a law. There's right. a spinoff, yes. but you always come back to the original. This is the new Law and Order. The, the uh-huh. original sustains. Yep. Will you accept this rose? Yeah. It. In, there's something to the. I know that WWE wrestling. Is that your only one? Come on. No, I've got a couple other ones, and some of you are texting them in. And I was going to. Say, and then the same as yours. Yeah, a couple oh. of a couple folks here on the text line I can't see the text. have identified them. Uh, this is not one, but the nine two zero texter says, "I'm embarrassed to say that I love the masked singer." Ooh, that got some, that gained some ground. I think a lot of people like that show, don't they? You know, I started watching one episode of the Masked Singer, and I I I couldn't get hooked, which is odd because I I was curious as to all right, who's this person under this toad costume or whatever the heck it was. 
and then I flipped away to something else, and I forgot to come back, and by the time I came back... Do you find out at the end of an episode, a single episode of The Masked Singer, who they are? I don't know. A friend of mine was definitely hooked on that show, and I feel like after a bit, yes, at the end of each show, they would un- people will call and tell us, I'm sure, how yeah. it works. But And then I thought I heard something about... they. There's going to be a is there going to be a tour or something and in each city they're going to unmask one of the singers so it's it's gaining ground okay yeah so uh, somebody... I don't think you should be embarrassed about that one it's okay it's, it's a, okay that is a popular show how can you be Own embarrassed it. when it when it's one of the most watched programs on a weekly basis right own it eight five five six one six one six twenty it's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line in addition to the WWE Monday Night Raw. There are a couple others that in the last year, year and a half, I have gotten hooked on. <laughs> and some of you uh, are identifying them on Twitter. We must and, know. Uh, we must know. It, I, I, I will I will. I reveal bet you mine all. is worse than yours. I will reveal all. Give us a call as well. We welcome that. Open lines at 855-616-1620. Friday frivolity. Your guilty pleasure. I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I watch this show. Let the record show. Let the record show there are texts, plural, coming in, standing with me in solidarity when it comes to watching professional wrestling as an, as a, as an escape, as a guilty pleasure. Yes, TV but show. are they 39 well, I, years I, old? I don't know. They, it, it's all, all... Like you? All I... I'm 30... I'm 38. You sure about that? Yes. That's, boy, why no. did I... You'll always um, be 39 to me. I, uh... It's still younger than you. Um, all I get from the text line is the phone number. So I don't get the ages. Right, Sorry. right. It's a nine two. Okay. We'll get to mine in a second. Here's a few others. Oh, we got calls. Calls as well. Calls are welcome. Alex and Kenosha, your guilty pleasure TV viewing that you may be a little embarrassed to admit until now on a 50,000-watt radio station. Go ahead. I'm 60 years old. I have, for my, since I've been a teenager, always watched TV evangelists, whether it's Ernest Ainsley, Jim Baker, Jimmy Swaghart, especially the faith healers like Benny Hinn. I don't know why. I just, they just cracked me up. <laughs> so, so, so you're watching not as somebody may, maybe of that particular denomination who's watching for religious purposes. You're watching for a true just entertainment kind of value. odd entertainment value. Right, right. Entertainment, especially late on a Sunday night, wrapping <laughs> up a weekend, just sitting there staring at the TV going, oh, my God. But that, I, and, my, and my wife, my wife, she's caught me a few times. And she, she thinks I'm crazy, but <laughs> it's funny. So. Wait, you haven't ever given money, have you? No, no, I don't okay, give good. money. I, don't, I, 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 I treat it as more of a joke, and I know some people take it very serious, sure. and it means a lot to some people. And it might help them through life, which is fantastic. But I just take it as a joke, and I, I, I for some reason, I find subtle humor in it. So when you, he's a teenager. When, when your wife has caught you, <sighs> or when somebody else maybe has walked into the room, do you like fumble for the remote and try to quickly change it before they realize what you're watching? I used to, but I've given that up, <laughs> especially when they're doing the the faith healing part now death spirits come out and i just sit there and laugh and they they look in amazement and i it is what it is so i get that i am proud of you alex for admitting this today this is good this is good thank you now a lot of my friends don't know and i hope they're not listening but uh wait is your name really alex 
Yeah, it is Alex. So. Okay. All right. All right. Well, no last names here. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. The secret Alex. is out now. Mm-hmm. The secret is out now. Is that your guilty pleasure? No. Although, although I have rarely, I'll come across one of those channels and I may pause and watch, especially if the televangelist is yeah. sitting and just like weeping. And I'm thinking, are they, are they really crying? Are they really sobbing right now? And What gets me is the sets. They're and, so ornate. Yeah, and old. <laughs> you know, like, it's, he's it's, wa- Alex is watching the same sets that he was watching as a teenager now. They haven't changed. It's as ornate as public access TV <laughs> sets can get. Yeah. John from Cudahy. That's a different one. Text line. I love watching live PD on A&E. Have you caught live PD? Oh, no. That can rope you in. I bet. I've been roped into that. I bet. Not every, you know, and, and you know what started that was cops. Yeah. Although bad cops boys, was bad all. Boys. What you going to do? Pre produced. You're going to have that song in your head now. Sorry. MASH. Okay. But I don't, I don't think you're really embarrassed to watch MASH. No. Um, all right. A few of you on the text line, by the way, you can call in as well when people are shy, 855-616-1620. I love vet shows. Dr. Pole, I think it's Pole, Dr. Oakley, Dr. Jeff. It makes me happy to see so many animals overcome injury, baby cows being born, baby piggies and all exclamation Aww. points. Aww. I don't know, you shouldn't be, no. shouldn't be too um, what embarrassed for that. People love America's Got Talent. Uh, let's see. You said that people were uh, agreeing with you, though, on your other one. You haven't admitted what your second one is. You've just talked about wrestling. I have. And here's a clue. You said play a clip. It it, it would be kind of hard to do because it's not like there's an iconic line or something. You watch mimes. Does the name Dr. Now mean anything to you? (gasps) Is that the pimple popper? No, but that is also good. (laughs) That's no, doc no, that's Dr. Sandra Lee. Oh. And I'm telling you, I've Dr. Heard. Pimple Popper. You it Wait, is the- Pimple Popper on TV? I thought Pimple Popper was just like on YouTube. Or no, something. no. Dr. Pimple oh, Popper. Oh, she got a TV is, show. She's got a TV okay. show. And, and you watch that too? I will watch things popped and sliced, oh. oozing and goozing and squirting okay, and okay, okay, squishing. Okay, okay, okay. Do you know the colors that can come out of a cyst? God. And what she does is she compares it to food. She'll say, oh, what? this is like oatmeal. Oh. Because last night, last night, got home late after the game, couldn't sleep, and I turned it on, and there was an episode of Pimple Popper, <laughs> and she's squeezing a cyst. Stop saying squeezing. And <laughs> it is it, it looked like there's oatmeal coming out Ew. of this bulge on the person's <laughs> inner thigh. It was on their thigh. Look, cysts can pop up anywhere, oh. literally. But um, bump. But that's not mine. If I were to have a secondary one, if you said you did, maybe I watch more do. TV than I. Thought. I know, right? I'm just realizing how much we watch. Guilty pleasure TV habits, TV shows that you may be a little embarrassed to admit you watch, but you do. I watch wrestling. Okay, I said Doctor Now, and then we got off on the pimple popper which is also excellent. I will get hooked, roped, and it's kind of a guilty pleasure. It's called My 600-Pound Life. Oh, I've heard of this. Dr. Now, I think it's Dr. Nauzardin. Nauzardin, he works out of Houston. Sure. And there are people who are 600 pounds, and oftentimes more than 600 pounds, who are trying to lose weight and get a life back. or Save their life. Save their life. Right. 
So they seek out Dr. Now. And we follow their journey. That's the we basically do. the theme. Now, okay. the thing about the thing about the program that I like is that it's not a cookie cutter format. It's not as if here you meet Scott and he's 625 pounds and here's his story, then he meets Dr. Now for uh, gastric bypass surgery. I mean, it's it they all want to lose enough weight to get gastric bypass as the ultimate goal to right. lose weight. Right. I have a friend that just went through that. It's hard. And then in the end, congratulations, here they are years later and they're a slim 150 pounds. You don't know what happens. Sometimes these patients, they fight him. They won't be on the diet plan because he, he puts you on a strict diet plan to lose enough weight to show you're committed before he uh, um, yeah. okay surgery. Yeah. Sometimes these people never get the surgery because they're stubborn as heck or they just can't break out of the funk, whatever the case may be. Or they the can't addiction. stop eating. Yeah. Um, and they never get the surgery, in which case after two hours, you're like, wow, okay. Then there are the great stories where they lost weight and they're motivated for their kids and they get the surgery and, and, and you follow them. And by the time well, Scott, the show that ends... that is the they... formula then. That is the formula. Every show has a formula, and the formula to that one is similar to the Hoarders show, where you're waiting to find out, did they accomplish it? Did they succeed or did they not? So some of them, you know, fail, unfortunately, and remain unhealthy and others succeed. Same thing with that hoarder show. You want to know, you know, once the house got cleaned out, were they able to recover? I guess right? I, I meant what, what I like about it is it's not a cookie cutter show in that by the end of the episode, everybody has always lost weight and it's a good story. Oh, I in see. In which case, okay, I know five minutes in, the person is doing okay and they've lost weight. You go on the journey to see if they're doing well, and maybe sometimes they're not doing well. And so that is what kind of ropes you in. It's not a stock storyline all the time. Bad start, happy finish, bad start, happy finish. One time, I know i got to get the news here. One time, it was like a two, three-hour, my 600-pound life. And I'm watching, and you get invested in these people, let's admit it. And, and you're following this woman's journey. And by the end, she said she's she had the surgery, she's lost a... a a ton of weight and she wants she's get she's going to enroll back in college so she's talking the voiceover as she's on her computer re-enrolling in school and things like that and i look at the clock and it's at 58 or so and it's like man this thing is not this can't be over yet there's still two minutes till the top of the hour there's got to be more story even though it seems like it's wrapping up so here i've invested two three hours of my time into this lady's story and by the end the screen goes dark and they put up the sign that she passed away because of a heart attack. And it's just, it was just, it was, it's just, it, it's emotional. It's heartbreaking. You're going, oh my God. I just followed this woman's journey. Here she's re enrolling in college. And by the end, they put up the postscript that said, you know, uh, Mary oh passed away shortly hereafter due to a sudden heart attack. Oh my gosh. Again, speaking to the fact that you're on their journey. And when the show starts, you don't know how it's ending. Huh. Now, that is a serious uh, moment, but binging can be, you know, a way to escape. Sometimes the end is not always that great right. in that case. Then you go watch wrestling. Well, I do, and then I'm like, <laughs> bring it back up again. Mary died. Right. How's, <laughs> how's Randy Orton doing? 
<laughs> Where's Cena? Is he going to win a championship or not? And then I feel a lot better. It's 2.32. Rusty Melberg is here with news. Do you have a guilty pleasure TV show, Rusty, that you go to time to time that you You're may not... You're super embarrassed to admit. Little, but, but you will here on the radio. Anything that you go to? Oh, my goodness. Uh, any, any of the reality TV shows? No, nothing that I would say. What about say the wife? A... You ever catch your wife watches? Hey, 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 what are you watching? Wait, are you young enough you don't watch TV? You no, just... no, I watch TV. Oh, okay. It's just that I'll, I'll probably binge on PBS or whatever comes okay. on there. Just as, you know, it oh, was like what the, our family... Do you like the auction every year? Mm. Uh, not so much the auction uh, oh. itself, but, you know, whatever PBS may have on, we always had that on the background as a family growing up, so... Downton Abbey? I did follow that. That was a very good show. Not a guilty pleasure. No. See, he watches intelligent TV, Scott. How do we feel about ourselves now? All right, thanks for making us feel great. GTL, baby. Jim Tan Laundry. Because if everything's put together and you feel great, you look great, awesome night. I don't follow those rules at all. It's especially Jim Tanny Laundry. I could say if it was like basketball, pool, beach, like, you know what I mean? Like, Jim Tanny Laundry. Like, those aren't fun things at all. GTL, baby. <laughs> what was that? Who was that? What was that? you got to explain here. <laughs> that was the situation that was Ronnie. That was Jersey Shore. Oh, <laughs> Which for a long time, I'm embarrassed to admit, I was so addicted to. That's not on anymore, is it? No, I, I exited that train when... They started doing spinoffs. I think there was one where they went to Vegas or something. And that, or no, they had families. I was like, I'm out of it now. It was only cool when Snooki was on the beach in Jersey Shore. It was so addictive. I'm sorry, but it was. Wow. <laughs> Don't tell my kids. Oh, we just hung up. We just lost him. He waited through the news. And I was going to go to, was it Alan in Wausau who watched The Bachelorette? He, yes. He was going to uh, commiserate Alan! with you or celebrate with We're going to find out on Monday morning who the next Bachelorette is. I'm Team Tasha. Uh, two six two texter. I have not heard of this sh- th- this show, Snake City. Ooh, that doesn't sound good. Uh, I'm terrified of snakes, especially venomous snakes. And this guy catches and relocates snakes like spitting cobras. It's intense, and I can't stop watching this show. That surprises me. That if you have a fear of snakes, that you'd be able to watch a show about snakes. That surprises me. That's kind of like people who are have a, like a clinical fear of sharks. They probably don't watch Shark Week, right? Um, I don't yeah, watch Shark Week. Um, probably if you have a fear of something. Yeah. More power to you for watching a show me. devoted yeah. to that. Yeah. Keeping up with the Kardashians. Oh, boy. Real Housewives of New Jersey. Oh, they never watched any of those. I, well, I... Keeping up with the Kardashians, I did, <laughs> but not for a long time. But the Real Housewives, I have no idea. I know some people talk about that, but no clue. Um, hoarders, a lot of hoarders votes, and I've got caught in hoarders. Me too. It's um, you know what I find the hoarders show many times those do not end, or I should say very, very infrequently do those end where the person is, and they're never cured. They need you know treatment and ongoing, ongoing counseling yes. and whatnot even if their house or their garage is all but they do at the end give you a solution you know they they do overcome it or not whether they relapse is yet to be seen but they do overcome it or not so i think the allure of watching a show like hoarders is to find out whether or not they were you know treated successfully be right? remiss if uh, before we move on 
if we didn't turn to producer Jordan Gazarowski, who, by the way, is putting in six and a half hours of producing work today, uh, started at 8.30. Okay, Jordan, your guilty pleasure, embarrassing show you watch that you're about to broadcast. So I just started this recently, and you're going to laugh when I say this. I, know I usually you do. Golden Girls. <laughs> yeah! That show is hilarious. <laughs> I started so watching good. that with my girlfriend, and I got to say, that show makes me laugh. So good. Cheesecake for everybody. <laughs> there was a house in Candy Cane Lane this year that was decorated in all Golden Girls. It was amazing. Go West Dallas. Wow. Okay. 90 Day Fiance is another one that I know people mm-hmm. get addicted to. I don't watch that one, but I know it's a big one. They run, a, they run episode after episode every Sunday, I think, of 90 Day Fiance. And sometimes after a Packers loss, and I was just feeling like crap, and I don't want to watch football, because if your Packers lose, I don't feel like watching football. I want to get away from football. I'll flip on whatever channel that A&E, I don't know, and, and there's 90 Day Fiance. And in those situations, I root for conflict. I root for fighting, for arguing. I root for the breakup to happen. You That's do? the entertainment for me, yeah. I don't root for them to get together. I want conflict. I want to watch conflict. Well... To be honest, if they if there was no conflict and they got together every time, there wouldn't be a show. So, and that's you know why Bachelor in Paradise to me is so entertaining is yeah when there's mm-hmm. <laughs> when there's drama. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, uh, thanks for everybody who took part in uh, Friday Frivolity uh, Guilty Pleasure shows that you're slightly embarrassed to admit that you well, watch. Really embarrassed. Uh, re- I I saw this, so I'll just mention it. Do you know that there's an ABC spinoff coming? The Bachelor for Senior Citizens. I did hear about that. Is it for real? For real? Mm-hmm. I thought I now casting seniors looking for love. They're looking for active and outgoing single men and women in their golden years for a new exciting dating show. This I will watch. There's a music spinoff right now that's going to start in April where there's like musicians and that eh, over it. That one though, for the golden years, that I'll watch. Sixty-five and better. All right, folks. Like we are thing. rooting for. Yep. And what we're rooting for is. Some form of the Bachelor franchise, 365. Seven days a week, 52 weeks a year. There's, there's breaks in between, and it's really hard to get through those breaks. Following the law and order model right. of success. Yeah. When we come back, before we get out of here, um, before this week ends, I've got a three-pack of stories that includes a way, one way, that some nations are fighting the locust infestation. Coronavirus in the headlines locusts are an issue right now in uh, a number of countries in this planet right now nick walenda he's going to do it again in just a couple of days oh ooh, i'm curious on this mm-hmm. one i held the rope when he was here i was eight months pregnant and i held that rope they let me do it I'm okay we we'll, we'll, we'll touch on that as well because i did not know you were going to say that i had no idea yeah okay i held the rope you held his life in your hands basically yeah okay we have and to i was carrying it. life inside me too Woohoo! And a good day. and a Florida woman is accused of zipping her boyfriend in a suitcase for hours until he died. Wait, where did this show go? It's a Friday Wagner show edition of Great Scott. Okay, so I teased these stories that I'm going to do here in Great Scott in just mere seconds. You don't like the order of them. So do you want me to do the dead person first? Please. I just okay. don't want to end the show or the week on a suitcase murder. So right, maybe do that one first so we can end on a high note. All right. We'll do it first. Great. Scott. 
Sarah Boone called 911 and said her boyfriend got trapped in a suitcase and died during a game of hide-and-seek. Huh? The Florida couple had been drinking Chardonnay and doing puzzles on Sunday night in their Winter Park apartment when they thought, quote, it would be funny to hop in a suitcase as part of the game. So she zipped up Jorge Torres, her boyfriend, in the blue suitcase containing a few items for donating. Two of his fingers stuck out, so she assumed he could open it, according to an affidavit. She went upstairs to bed and thought he'd get himself out of the suitcase and join her, only to wake up on Monday and find him still in it, not breathing, and dead. She has been arrested, faces a second-degree murder charge after investigators determined videos on her phone contradicted her story. Oh, my gosh. The phone footage shows her mocking her boyfriend as she filmed his cries for help and telling him it was his punishment for cheating. He's saying on the video, I can't blanking breathe. Seriously, that's on you, the woman says. Oh, that's what I feel like when you cheat on me, she responds. The video shows the victim pushing on the suitcase trying to get out. When police showed the video to the woman, she pushed it away halfway through and said she didn't want to watch it anymore. They searched her iPhone after signing a waiver, giving verbal and written consent. Uh, She has denied intentionally leaving Torres in the suitcase. She called police Monday afternoon and said she woke up hours earlier but assumed her boyfriend was on his computer in another room. When she could not find him, she realized, oh crap, he's still in the suitcase. Oh my gosh. Sarah unzipped the suitcase, found Jorge unresponsive and not breathing. She zipped Jorge in the suitcase to where he could not get out, the affidavit says. He begged repeatedly, telling her, I can't breathe. Sarah left him in the suitcase and demonstrated a depraved mind without regard for Jorge's life. She's being held without bail. Your witty reaction to this? I got nothing. Like I, I, I just want to push that away and not even remember that story. How horrific! Honestly, was the suitcase big or was the boyfriend small? Stop! Stop! Locusts are taking over the world. Can't believe I want to talk about locusts desperately. Paying attention to the coronavirus. But if you've been following this story, the uh, locust plague is swarmed Africa. Uh, now it's working its way through the Middle East. Well, well, well. They think they have found something to help combat the locusts. In Pakistan, they're going to be using a troop of special Chinese ducks. Ducks will be deployed to Pakistan to fight the swarm of crop-eating pests that threaten regional food security. 100,000 ducks expected to be sent to Pakistan in uh, just a few weeks to combat the locusts. They're biological weapons, and they can be more effective than pesticide. Let's do it. Begs the question, what are you going to do then about 100,000 ducks running wild through the countryside? Right, stop! Okay, here you go. Here's your Walenda story. He's going to be at it again. Tightrope walker Nick Walenda... On, the, on Wednesday, just a few days from now, is going across a live volcano in Nicaragua. Oh! Tightrope across a live volcano in Nicaragua, to which Walenda says, quote, I could fall to my death. But isn't that exactly the yes, threat? every time. The risk every single time. 41-year-old, seven-generation family of daredevils, the flying Walendas. So what do you think about this? Aye, aye, aye. How do you hold the rope? 
can't stand on a live volcano. Who's holding the robe? Here, here's the other thing you're doing. Heat. Ooh, hot, 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 hot robe. Hot robe, hot robe, hot robe. Real quickly, in less than a minute, tell us the story of when you held That's Nick Rolenda's robe. They asked for volunteers. I signed up to volunteer. They accepted me, and they went, um, is it okay if I'm like, I don't know, seven months pregnant? And they said, what? <laughs> they said, well, are you healthy? I said, yeah, I'm healthy. Let's do this. And so they let me do it. So I got, I should dig up the picture somewhere. But yeah, I helped hold the rope. And then I talked Andy, my husband, into doing it too. He was more afraid, like, I need to be there if you're doing this because you're carrying my child. So I want to make sure you're okay. But we held the rope. And when he comes by you, you know, when he's over you, it moves. It sways. Oh. Yeah. So you got to hold on tight. But once he's past you and the movement kind of, you, you stop feeling your rope moving, then, I mean. Oh, so you were below him holding the rope. Well, I wasn't above him. No, I, I, I thought you were like at the other end of the rope on top of the building somehow holding no, it. No, so then there's, you know, there's it, kind of like a railroad. Stabilizing. Ties. Yeah. Ties. Yeah, okay. so there's a whole bunch of people on either side oh. holding the rope, and I was one of those people. I well, just the assume two of us were. Fair I just assume that the rope is bracketed on one end, bracketed on the other, and you were just holding this the one end. That's why you're in radio. So if you let and go. And not in daredevil stunts. Thank goodness you did your job, otherwise Nick Walenda could not cross a volcano. Yeah, there you go. That is a Friday. Friday Wagner Show edition of Great Scott. Thank you for being a friend. Travel down the road and back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a confidant. There you go. It's Jordan Kazarowski's embarrassing binge TV show, Golden Girls. Hey, I'm not ashamed. You shouldn't be. It's a fantastic show. I watched it when I was your age, too. I grew up watching it. When I think of that show, and here's what, when I think of that show, I think of my grandma, who has since passed. Wow, so okay. It, it, it brings, no, but because she used to watch it. So if I was over there, she'd have it on. And it just, it, I have a good memory of that show because of 